I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome along to Sunday's edition of the Football Social Daily. No time for nerves this weekend as the relegation battle, the scrap for the top four and the tiny matter of the title tilt are all on the menu across another busy 48 hours of action. The battle down the bottom, that's where we kick ourselves off on tonight's show. Some big, big wins at vital times. Burnley and Everton both picking up three points as they look to boost their battle for survival. However, despite that, it's not as rosy for Leeds. They slip down into deeper relegation danger. Moving on to part two, we're going to check in with the latest picture in the top four. Some really, really key results for Tottenham and Arsenal as they gear up for that all-important North London derby in just 10 days time. And then to wrap it up, we touch in with the title race. Strange one as it's back to third, but Manchester City and Liverpool keep on winning. The pace has been maintained and they are going to go neck and neck all the way to the finish line. But One team that have already learnt their fate this season is Norwich. First Premier League side to fall through the trapdoor and the Canaries will be back in the Championship next season. So, as always, plenty to get stuck into on our Sunday night special. My name's Fergal Brennan and on a rare weekend of no Manchester United action, we actually have ourselves an Old Trafford double act. We've got the Stretford Paddock's Jay Motti. Jay, how's things? The Old Trafford double act sounds like our centre-back pairing at the minute. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> the Old Trafford double Well, to be honest, I reckon uh, yourself and Ty Marshall will be uh, doing better than Maguire and Brown have done so far this season. Uh, Ty, Manchester Evening News, senior football writer on duty with Jay tonight. How are you doing? Uh, very good, thank you, Fergal. Very good. Good at Manchester United not to ruin a weekend for a change. They're just going to ruin the, the bank holiday instead this weekend. That's very polite of uh, of both you and of Manchester United. Uh, United not on the agenda tonight. They're up against Brentford in Monday night action, so that's going to be covered on tomorrow's 
podcast. So, Jay, we're going to start with the battle down the bottom. Strange because the top four scrap and the race for the title, which is one of the most exciting in years, is actually pushed down the schedule today because it's fascinating how the relegation battle is going to play out. So Watford won Burnley 2, an enormous result and an enormous fight-back response from Burnley away at Watford. 1-0 down with 10 minutes to go and they just flipped the script at at Vicarage Road. 1-2-1, another three points in the bag. And the most impressive stat in all of this is 10 points from four games since Mike Jackson came in. Now, rewind to when he did come in, there was so much criticism of the decision to get rid of Sean Dyche and would Mike Jackson be able to do it and he's done fantastically well the last time they won three Premier League games in a row was December 2018 obviously that was under Dyche this is the perfect response to the situation at the perfect time and you look at the table now and you think this is it they've they've done it he's not going to admit that no Burnley fan is going to admit that but they look really really well placed to get themselves out of this yeah, they do. I mean, you're right. I mean, it's not over yet. There's still, you know, four games to go and they can still end up slipping back down there. But three wins on the spin. I've been on this on this podcast a few times and, I, you know, we've discussed could Sean Dyche be the, the, the key factor in getting Burnley out of that, that mess, out of that relegation scrap many times. We've said, oh, yeah, I think the Sean Dyche effects will, will kick in soon and he'll get him up the table. So when he was sacked, I was surprised because I even thought, rather naively, that... Even if they went down, they might stick with him because of what he's done. They might say, OK, get us back up. They didn't. They changed the manager. And you can't argue with how it works. There's been a massive reaction. Like you said, not just the fact they've got three wins on the spin, but to come back like they did against Watford with, what was it, 10 minutes to go, 1-0 down away from home. You think, um, this is it, you know, it's over or maybe you can get a draw. But to get those two goals, he's obviously got the belief there, got them playing, you know, to the strengths and getting them out of that, that relegation fight when it's you know, a few weeks ago, it looked like they could be in all sorts of trouble. So still not done yet, but you'd fancy them to stay up other than the teams around them. I want to get your view on this, tie because obviously Burnley in a previous life was your beat covering them and, and you're well acquainted with Sean Dyche and the work that he did at Turf Moor. We, we chatted about this on last week's podcast with Sam Lee and this idea that Mike Jackson hasn't torn up the Sean Dyche rule book, but he's made some really important changes to specific things that if you're not watching Burnley on a regular basis, you might miss Dwight McNeil's arguably been the kind of poster boy for that change in position and he looks to have that that zip back about him but there's not been a sea change of what Sean Dyche was doing but maybe there was this idea that behind the scenes the same old routine had gone a little bit stale Mike Jackson knows he's not going to turn them into Man City or Liverpool overnight but sometimes just that freshness a different person giving albeit similar instructions but things just seeming a bit newer with a bit more energy in them can have that impact so by not going directly from the Dyche playbook, but not completely getting rid of it. Mike Jackson struck that perfect balance. And you look at the table now and they're favourites to get out of this. Yeah, they are. I I think this decision is the clearest example that even good managers have a shelf life. No one can say that that Dyche didn't do a brilliant job at Burnley. And like Jay, I thought it was their best chance of getting out of it. And I was surprised when he was sacked. But I think... I think what Jackson has done is just loosen the reins a little bit, just given the, the players their head and a bit of freedom. Dice ran a really tight ship at Burnley. There was a lot of discipline in that squad, both in terms of how they played and just on a day-to-day basis. You know, it was there was a lot of fines in there. It, it turned into a joke on a Friday, but it was a you know, it was a very p- policed dressing room. 
he wouldn't let players you know a classic example he wouldn't let players train in something you can't play in which might be a bit of common sense but when Maxwell Corner wants to wear his snood in November and is told he can't it's you know that's the kind of tight ship that he ran and sometimes I think when that goes and a new man comes in and just almost lifts his foot off the gas a little bit with those sort of things it can free the players and Dwight McNeil is a great example that there's been the positional change but he also just looks to be playing with a lot more freedom than he did under Dice. He doesn't have to follow Dice's instructions for tracking back to the letter. He doesn't fear a rollicking if he if he loses his fullback. And there is just that sense of freedom. And you wonder if it's almost if the owners have made this change at the perfect moment to get the maximum out of that kind of bounce of the reins being loosened. I think if they had a full season under Mike Jackson with that squad, I think they'd go down because I still think that squad is probably one of the worst three in the league but it's been this decision has almost been timed so well that they're hitting they're hitting this good run of form purely because it just feel it feels a little bit different than under Dice it feels a little bit freer a little bit looser and the players are having a bit more fun and the shackles have been taken off and that can sustain you sometimes for a seven eight nine game run and, and that's all they need that that might probably won't sustain for 38 game season but what they need is is theoretically it's down to an eight-game season, wasn't it, when I think Dice was sacked. So maybe it's been timed perfectly. And I think it's, I mean, it's not doing Dice's future job prospects much good at the moment, but I think it's a, a clear sign sometimes that, like you say, the, the message can become stale and things can just get a bit repetitive and, and change sometimes is, is what players need. Yeah, I suppose I'm going to just want to quickly touch on Watford before we go on to Everton, Chelsea, Jay, because fear, that word was used by the Watford camp as well. Ray Lewington in his his post-match press conference, he said that there was a fear factor around Watford in terms of getting a home win. I don't need to remind you the last time Watford won at home, I'm sure that's etched, burned into your subconscious, but it has been a long, long time. And mathematically, technically, they're not down. If they win their remaining games and things go in their favour slightly above, they could drag themselves out of this but they're gone it just needs to be signed off and maybe this idea of being afraid to go and win this game they were 1-0 up with 10 minutes to go and Burnley didn't really start to come back into it until the last 20 minutes but they were hungrier they had more organisation they had more desire more discipline and Watford despite the fact that they've arguably got more flair than Burnley just didn't have it in them to go and win this game yeah, I mean, what what is the record? Is it eight on the spin they've lost now, Watford? Something like that? I mean, that's as, you know, that says it all, doesn't it, really? That tells you where you're at. And like you say, if you're up against a, a relegation, a fellow relegation uh, candidate, and it is the, the proverbial six-pointer, the relegation six-pointer, so you can get your uh, cliche bell out, Fergal, um, and you, you know, get, you know, you're leading with 83 minutes on the clock, and then you end up losing. That says it all. I mean, I just don't see how Watford get out of this. I just don't. They just look absolutely gone. The, you know, like you say, it was the last home win against United. It was so long ago. That says it all. And, you know, I think the only... <laughs> funny, ironically, they drew at Old Trafford as well and, and when they played us at Old Trafford. But other than those, those games, I think they've, they've really struggled. They're in free fall. Yes, mathematically, they, they can still stay up. But where are they getting a win from? Where are they even getting any points from? I just don't see it happening at all. And the players that you maybe could look at and go, OK, Dennis King has got a goal in it. Zaha's got a goal in it. Suzuki on his days is a, a useful player. There's just, there's just not enough quality there. There's not enough consistency there. And I don't like saying this with players, but maybe there's just not enough fight there. You know, you use words like belief and, and, and things like that, and I understand that. You do have to believe in it. You have to have that confidence. But you also have to, at times, especially at the dog end of the season, be able to just pull your socks up and, and, and sort of stick it out. 
and they've just not been showing that at all, Watford. And it's, it's you know, it is, from a Watford point of view, disappointing because they're one of those teams that do tend to sort of have these struggles season in, season out. You know, they've, they've been through a lot of the Watford fans and I just fear the worst for them, to be honest with you. I just don't see them getting out of this one at all. We're going to move across to Everton, tie because strangely, the only team this weekend that probably needed a win more than Burnley away at Watford was Everton at home to Chelsea and they got exactly what they needed when they wanted. This was a brilliant game and almost a kind of cheesy advert for the Premier League. There was flares and fireworks last night outside the Chelsea Hotel and then again outside Goodison Park today, welcoming the, uh, the coach into Goodison Park. There's blue smoke everywhere and then when the first ball is kicked, the team reacting to the fans and the fans reacting to the team. They were disciplined, they were resilient and they were well organised and, and boxed Liverpool in in big patches at Anfield last week. Obviously ultimately finding themselves on the wrong end of a 2-0 defeat. But it was different this time round. Fabian Delph and Yerry Mina coming in. There just seemed to be a bit more progression. They were biting into tackles but then they had an outball. They were moving with a bit more organisation. It wasn't all thrown onto Anthony Gordon. And we know that Everton will dig in. We know that the home fans will row behind them right the way until the end of the season. But this was absolutely massive. They needed this on the back of Burnley getting their result and they got exactly that. Yeah, they did. And it was you know it was hugely impressive response to that that pressure really because See, not only Burnley win yesterday, but the manner in which in which they won. You can imagine that you know those players were, were probably at Finch Farm at that point and ready to to check into a hotel, presuming they stay over in, in Liverpool before games. And that would have been a real sucker punch. You know, when you're in a relegation battle and that happens, you can imagine that makes your soldiers slump. That that's going to hurt. So to respond with that kind of performance, I think was was hugely impressive. It was a a ferocious atmosphere. They really got the fans on side. I've been saying for a while now that it feels like those fans are going to make or break them, to be honest, because they it, it, it proved today it, it can be electric. There was smoke everywhere. It was so electric that Richarlison was throwing smoke bombs back into the crowd. And I think what you also get, though, is when things go wrong for Everton, that crowd can turn on them really quickly. And going back a few weeks now, but I was there for the United game, and before they took the lead in that game, they were ready to turn. You could tell they were right on the edge of getting really annoyed at their team, annoyed at the players. And I think if they go if they go behind in games at home, it's going to be really hard to fight back. So that first goal is always crucial. But they did they did stick with them through the first half. There was a lot there to admire in, in the way they went about it. And I think that that kind of win under that pressure, considering what happened yesterday, is a real a real good marker for them going forward and we've always said they've got a tough run in but they've taken they've taken six points now really from from that tough run in against United and Chelsea they've got a run of games I think Watford Brentford and someone else who I've forgotten coming up that looks really winnable and you can still see them getting two or three wins there and and, and climbing out of it you can see I mean Burnley and, and Everton are kind of hitting form at the right time you mentioned that performance for Everton last week there was a lot to like in that in terms of the discipline they showed and, and the way they went about it and the threat they posed on the counter-attack. So certainly I think over the last two weeks they've shown shown signs of life and they've had to because they would have thought they were safe a couple of weeks ago and, and Burnley's response has really put the pressure on. So considering that it, it feels like everyone is almost not willing Everton to go down, but it, it is the story if Everton goes down, isn't it? Everyone's kind of yeah. gawping at them. You know, it's like a it's like a car crash that you don't want to look at but can't help looking at and 
that, that they must feel that pressure and know that the rest of the league is looking at them, thinking, "God, they're going to be the, could be the biggest team to go down." So, I think the, the way they've responded is is very impressive and, and probably most pleasing of all for for Lampard. I just want to look at this result in the context of the running between now and the end of the season for Everton, Jay, because sometimes you can kind of get lost in the noise surrounding a big story, as Ty said, of Everton being relegated from the Premier League, which would be the first time it's happened. But this difficult run of games they've had, they've come out of it with seven points from four. They beat United, they beat Chelsea, they got a point against Leicester and lost at Anfield, which, in fairness, they probably would have expected too. Moving ahead between now and the end of the season, everybody they play, other than Arsenal on the final game, doesn't really have anything left to play for. They've got Leicester and Watford away, and then Brentford and Palace at home. And those home games, you get the sense, are going to be crucial. And one stat that we dug up while we're doing the research for the podcast today is that under Lampard, they've only conceded three goals at home in the Premier League, four clean sheets from seven at Goodison, and it's generally been a quote, better side than them that scored at Goodison. They are tight at home, which is the oldest cliche in the book of how you need to be in a relegation battle. They've got momentum, just like Burnley. They've still got a big load of work to do. Do you feel that the worm is starting to turn a little bit for Lampard and Everton? Yeah, I was I was really impressed with the Liverpool game going back a week. Um, I thought they played well and I thought they played to the strengths um, because, you know, they haven't played for player, they can't match Liverpool, but they made a game of it just by, you know, being dogged and, and getting the likes of Richarlison and, and the, the young lad, um, sorry, on the... Anthony Gordon. Anthony Gordon on the, on the wing, who I thought was, was really impressive. And, and, you know, and having that bit of sort of muscle in, in, in midfield or what have you. And then they just, you know, Liverpool's sort of quality shone out in the end. But then they've taken, they've, they've sort of maybe used the positives from that performance into the, the Chelsea game, which is a massive result. We've seen the heroics from Jordan Pickford. He's obviously, you know, played a big part of that. But yeah, there's a sense there that something's happening. Leicester, you look at them, they've got that game coming up. They've really got nothing to play for in the league. Watford... Yes, OK, they're still mathematically safe, but they're in free fall. So I know it's away from home, the Watford game, but they, they could get something from it. And then, as you've mentioned, you know, a back-to-back home games of, of Brentford and Palace, who've both got absolutely nothing to play for, other than obviously pride and, and you know, putting on a performance for the shirt or whatever. Those games, you know, you can see them taking points from those games. You can see them getting out of it. And a few weeks ago, I've always said that I thought Everton, this could be the season to go down. Not always, but, you know, since it all started going wrong, I, I looked at it and I thought, I don't, I don't fancy the chances. They just don't seem to have had, a, had much of a bounce since Lampard's gone in there. And some of the performances, especially away from home, have been woeful. But there is a little bit of glimmer of hope there. There is. Um, and today was such a big result from the, the, the Chelsea game. It's such a big result for him. It'll be interesting to see what happens against Leicester because Leicester... You know, they, they are beatable. They've lost, I think, 13 games this season. They're in slap banging mid table, nothing to play for. If, if Everton can get something from that, then maybe they can do a bit of a, a surprise escape. Because I think at the minute it would be a surprise for me if they stayed up. Because I, I, had, them, I had them going down, to be honest with you, I really did. Um, we're going to move on to the other team, still right the way, uh, mixed into the relegation Maya tie, and that's Leeds United. 4-0 defeat at Ellen Road to Manchester City yesterday. We're going to talk about City a little bit later on and, and the context of the title race, but Jesse March and Leeds are right in this, down in the dogfight with Everton and Burnley, and it could be a battle of wits 
between now and the end of the season because they've got some difficult games coming up. They play Arsenal and Chelsea and Everton do have a game in hand on them. So I just want to give you the latest picture as it stands. Burnley in 16th, 34 played and 34 points. Leeds in 17th, 34 played and 34 points. And Everton 18th, 33 played and 32 points. So a win for Everton in that game in hand would drag Leeds down into it. They haven't scored in two games. And the strange fixture calendar kind of mix-up meant that they had nearly two weeks off at the start of this month. And they've come back and they're actually worse. Stuart Dallas has now been confirmed that he's broken his leg. He's out until the start of next season at least. And he's a big, big player for them. Jesse March was quite calm in his post-match yesterday, but they're in big, big trouble and they've got no momentum. No, they haven't. They, they've kind of surrendered that momentum. And it, it's funny how quickly things turn. I mean, at the start of that match yesterday against City, they, they mentioned on commentary how Leeds were going into it five unbeaten and now we're talking about how they've only got one win in four games. Um, so these, these sort of things can quickly turn, the stats can quickly turn against you. You mentioned their fixture list there. I mean, the worst thing for them, I think, is the fact that they've got Arsenal and Chelsea next. And by the time they finish there, I think Everton would have probably played their game in hand. So by the time it gets to, I think the Chelsea game's the 11th of May, if they lose those two, there's a good chance they'll be in the bottom three going into the final two games against Brighton and Brentford. And the pressure will really be on them then. We, we mentioned pressure before and how Everton have responded. Leeds have got to show it now. I remember driving home from Goodison a few weeks ago when um, Leeds were on the radio with one at Watford and it, it felt, you could hear the atmosphere from that away end. They'd won 3-0 at Watford. They were on a great run under March. It felt like, it sounded like party time in that away and the commentary team was talking about how Leeds were almost safe now. They could almost touch it. But like I said, they, they have kind of surrendered that momentum. The fixture list is doing really strange, strange things this season. I mean, look at Burnley's fixtures before. They've got four games left and they've still got to play Villa twice. Um, you know, it's it's really, really, some really bizarre quirks in the running. Um, but yeah, the, 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 this run of fixtures for them I don't, is not great. I think if if they slip into the bottom three for those final two games, it, it could be a huge challenge for them because you can imagine how, you know, if they're in the bottom three when they play the last home game against Brighton, which will be the 37th game, it's a bit like Everton. You can imagine the atmosphere there will work for them, but the expectation and the pressure in front of a full house on Ellen Road is, would weigh so heavily on them. So it does feel like somehow they need to try and get something out of these, these games against Arsenal and Chelsea. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be an absolute battle to the death. That all-important game in hand for Everton could be the key, but we are probably going to go stride for stride all the way until the end of the campaign. Right, we're going to grab ourselves a little break here on the Football Social Daily. After the break, we're checking in with the latest picture surrounding the race for a top-four finish. North London probably is either going to be red and white or navy and white depending on whether you're arsenal or spurs that derby in 10 days time is going to be massive but some big big results for them this weekend so we're going to be talking about both of those in just a sec football social daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Sunday night's edition of the Football Social Daily. We've discussed the battle down the bottom, Everton, Burnley and Leeds United with plenty to play for in the final few weeks of the campaign. Norwich City have been relegated this weekend and Watford need a mathematical miracle if they are to avoid slipping down into the championship but in part two we're going to have a look at the top four picture tie Spurs three Leicester nil this was probably expected despite the fact that the famous stat that's been following Tottenham around for the last couple of weeks is no shots on target in over 200 minutes of Premier League action up against the Leicester City side that are firmly focused on Rome and Jose Mourinho in midweek Brendan Rodgers made a ton of changes for this game this was shooting fish in a barrel stuff for Tottenham. Harry Kane back amongst the goals. A Song Young Min with a couple of goals. This was a really important win for Tottenham to keep up the pressure on Arsenal in the race for the Champions League and to make sure that that stat, that pesky little stat about shots and goals, doesn't go too much further. Yeah, absolutely. And it was an ideal fixture, like you say, in terms of the timing of it. Leicester have. Kind of had a revival, I think, under under Brendan Rodgers recently. They've really struggled with injuries this year. But over the last few weeks, you can tell that, I mean, they have basically sacked the Premier League off, haven't they? Like like we say, they're, they're stuck in mid-table. I think they've had a good run. They've turned their form around, but now their focus has very clearly moved to Europe. And you can understand why they made so many changes and why this game was, was never going to be their priority. Um, so it was an ideal one for Tottenham. Some some phenomenal work again from from Son. That Son and Kane partnership is is just incredible, isn't it? There's a lot to like about Tottenham when when they're on Song. The you know the issue they they've kind of got at the moment, and and the concern for them is those wing backs are so important to them. And obviously they're out without Regulian and I think Doherty until the end of the season now, and um, that that's going to be an issue. It's this top four race is so hard to call purely because of the inconsistency of these teams. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we we thought Tottenham had. Hit, hit top gear under Conte and then those like I said those two games with no shots on target and losing at home to Brighton and drawing away at Brentford just so mediocre from a team who had hit good form and we saw it with Arsenal a few weeks ago where they had I think three successive defeats against mid-table teams then come back and win at Chelsea and, and beat United it's just it's so hard to call between the two of them because you just don't know what you're going to get from from one week to the next I think when you feel like there should be more consistency about Tottenham now, but obviously they've got a really hard game next weekend against Liverpool. Um, after that, you know the, the North London derby being it at Tottenham should be helpful if Kane and Son and Kulisevsky can can stay in the kind of form they showed against Leicester. Then you feel they've maybe just got the edge, but the problem is they they showed against Brighton and Brentford that one of those crazy performances that, that has Conte with his head in his hands um, saying how useless everyone is, is is just around the corner so this was an ideal fixture for them and one they were always going to take advantage of but I think you know the, the concern is that 
it's that inconsistency and in a way it's inevitable they're two teams chasing fourth in a pretty mediocre top four race for a reason because they've, they've not got that consistency so Tottenham will hope this this kind of kicks them into gear and, and brings them form for the rest of the season but I still think it's 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 mighty close to call that race before we move on to West Ham against Arsenal, Jay, I want to ask you about Song Hyung Min. Two goals today against Leicester brings him up to 19 Premier League goals for the season, just three behind Mo Salah in the race for the Golden Boot. And because we're always so focused on Liverpool and Manchester City winning team awards, winning individual awards, obviously Salah's been named as, as Football Writers Player of the Season earlier this week. Song Hyung Min has, has snuck up. You don't need to tell Tottenham fans just how good he is and probably just how underrated he is. But is there maybe a perception issues surrounding him the position that he plays in the team that he plays for that he's not discussed in those circles in the way that his teammate Harry Kane is obviously Mohamed Salah is but he is banging in goals he provides so many assists for Tottenham as well he could challenge Salah for this Salah's got a lot of games to play between now and the end of the season he didn't start against Newcastle this weekend and Klopp might look to rotate him in and out for one or two games whereas Son will play every game for Spurs between now and and the end of the campaign. I mean, yeah, it's it's one of those where you look at things. What do you say? Is nineteen goals, eight assists this season. I mean, you know, that is a, a fantastic record. It's almost a goal and assist every or, or an assist every every single game. And you look at it and you think. I, I sometimes feel like maybe he suffers a little bit, like you were saying there, with the fact that Harry Kane is obviously the star of that Spurs team. That Spurs team doesn't win anything as well. So maybe it doesn't get as much attention as it should or as much credit as it should and when it does get credit the credit seems to be focused all on Harry Kane but if you look at Son and look at the job he's done and the goals he scored and, and the, the assists he's got as well then you can't fault him he's doing exactly what you'd want an attacker to do getting goals getting assists um, and I think the only sort of criticism if you can call that about him is he's not been able, able to get his team a trophy and that's not all on him that's just on Spurs themselves they just you know they've not really won anything so yeah maybe he is looked down on a little bit or ignored a, a little bit but I think amongst especially amongst fans whenever you whenever I speak to fans about Spurs every you know every fan I speak to not just Spurs fans but just fans of other clubs when we're chatting or whatever on the channel you mentioned Son and everyone raves about him I think he's I think he's widely respected I just feel that maybe because he's not you know, in a club that's challenging for a Champions League or in a title race or picking up silverware, he's not going to get the attention and the credit that Mo Salah or a Sadio Mane or a, you know, a, a Raheem Sterling will get. And when it is about Spurs, people tend to focus on Harry Kane rather than, than the, the guy next to him who's banging in almost as many goals. Well, I think this season, actually, he's, he's scored more goals, I should say. <laughs> Yeah, in the Premier League he has, yeah, he's, he's, he's outdone him. Um, yeah. A little stat that I've just dug up here while we've been talking is that if he does uh, get 20-plus this season, he'll be the fourth Spurs player to do that in the Premier League. Teddy Sheringham, Gareth Bale and obviously Harry Kane who's done it multiple times uh, in the last few seasons. Very quickly before we move on to Arsenal tie, I just want to ask you about Chelsea. 34 games played, 66 points. As it stands, they probably have done enough. Do you think there's any chance that they might get knocked? Obviously, losing to Everton early today. Do you think? Do you think they're home and dry as it stands? I think they are. Yeah, like I said, I don't think Tottenham and Arsenal have got the consistency to challenge them in into getting third place. But it does kind of feel like they're just treading water a bit at the moment. The cup final is probably the the, the well, it's obviously the biggest game they've got left, and the only really meaningful one they've got left. They're throwing in some, you know, some 
not crazy performances, but unexpected performances. They played really well at Old Trafford on Thursday night, but missed, missed so many chances. But it does kind of feel like they're, like I say, they're treading water, and also there's, there's so much, so much going on at that club above above their level, isn't there? That you can kind of understand now that there's there's distractions. They're going to finish third, I think, no matter what happens. All eyes are on the cup final, and all eyes are on a lot, a lot of their futures. A lot of them, we, we still don't know what's going to happen in the summer with regards contracts and things like that, and players leaving, and who the new owners are going to be, and what's that's going to mean for their ambition. So. There's a lot going on to, to distract those players, and when you reach a point where your season is, or your league season is effectively done, I think you can you can understand the odd sort of unusual or performance where where standards slip a bit. But yeah, I think I think they'll hold on to third easily enough. Okay, let's uh, quickly move on to Arsenal before we take a break. I've been anxiously keeping an eye on the score here, Jay, to make sure that they got over the line. It has now finished. West Ham won Arsenal two. So. <laughs> Breathe. Well, I can breathe. I'm sure you guys are not really that interested. But, you know, fans of good football, fans of exciting uh, young players emerging. Um, Arsenal weren't reliant on their young guns today. It wasn't Emil Smith-Rowe or Bukayo Saka providing the goal-scoring inspiration. It was the two lads at the back. Rob Holding's first ever Premier League goal to put Arsenal in front. West Ham then got themselves back level via Jared Bowen, but Gabriel Magalash with a really important goal in the second half. And we talked about how you react to your rivals with the relegation section before the break. Everton had to react to Burnley's win. Arsenal had to react to Spurs' win. There's only a little narrow gap between these two games. But Arsenal are, again, answering the questions that get thrown at them of, are they going to fail? Are they going to fall at the final hurdle? Are they too young to get this wrapped up? Based on these type of results, yes, West Ham had a big game in midweek in the Europa League and they're also focusing on Frankfurt next week. This was an important result to get over the line, another box ticked and crucially still keeping that edge over Tottenham. Yeah, I think last time I was on here I said to you I think the North London derby is going to decide who gets top four and I've not changed my mind on that. I think it's going to go down to the wire between those two and that game will, will decide it. Um, Arsenal, they've been obviously very up and down. That's the nature of the beast when you're challenging for top four. You do lose a lot of, you know, or drop a lot of points. That's why you're challenging for top four rather than the title. But you also take a lot as well. And Arsenal had that sort of, they had a good run and then they had a difficult spell where they lost to, uh, was it Crystal Palace and Southampton and, and Brighton? But then, yeah. you know, sort of turned it around, big win against Chelsea big win against Manchester United and now another big one as well so they've got that little bit of form momentum and belief and there's a lot to from a neutral point of view I don't really like Arsenal but you can admire this team they've got <laughs> some good young players like you say they tend to be a, a decent team spirit as well which you can admire but yeah I, I just I, I know I sound like a broken record every time I come on here the last few weeks but I just do I, just see, I think that North London derby is going to be the one way you see who's going to get top four and obviously the, the advantage for Arsenal now is They've got um, that little cushion as well, so they can afford to draw that game rather than, you know, Spurs will look to, to, look to win it. Yeah, indeed. Just to give you a quick picture of the top four race before we take a break. Uh, West Ham now officially, or mathematically rather, cannot qualify for the top four. 35 games played, 52 points. Arsenal have got the edge. 34 games played, 63. Tottenham, 34 paid and 61. Manchester United are still in the running for a potential Champions League push. 35 games played, 55 points. They're in sixth and they take on Brentford tomorrow night. Right, we are going to grab another break. 
after the break it is the title race but in reality as it's been every week since what seems like forever it is as you were wins for Liverpool and Manchester City mean it is still the same up the top victory for Aston Villa relegated Norwich Crystal Palace winning away at Southampton and three goals and three points for Brighton at Molyneux so all that to come in just a sec Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Sunday night's edition of the Football Social Daily. Busy, busy end to the Premier League campaign. So in order to keep yourself right up to date, if you hit subscribe on this episode, you can get access to a brand new show as soon as it is ready. We're here every day between now and the end of the campaign and it is going to be mega. There is so much going on in the Premier League that you do not want to miss out in the final few weeks of the campaign. So, Ty, the title race is an interesting position because we've shoved it all the way back to part three and that's because nothing exciting happened in comparison to the relegation battle and the race for top four. Newcastle nil, Liverpool two and the big story from this pre-game and then post-game was Jurgen Klopp's decision to rotate a huge amount of his players ahead of that Champions League game against Biza Real. Thiago Alcantara, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Fabinho and Mo Salah all rested from the starts but the mentality is is so strong with Liverpool this season that they kind of know if they start fast and they race out of the traps they can smother anyone and, and Newcastle have been in good form in recent weeks I think it's four wins in a row going into this but the levels between them was just massive do you expect this to be a regular feature in the final few weeks of the season Liverpool have got the Champions League to go for they've got the FA Cup final against Chelsea do you think the final few games of the season we will see this mix and match and certain players pulled in and pulled out and Liverpool fans just having to put their faith in Klopp? I think there will be to a degree. I'm not sure it will be as um, obvious as this again. This this felt like a real banana skin for them, to be honest, a real risk because of that. You know, we, we hear managers talk about it often, that Wednesday night, Champions League, Saturday lunchtime, graveyard slot, especially when... When you're away in both, it's a it's a, a complete disaster. Even when you're at home on the Wednesday and then away on the the Saturday, I think it's it's a nightmare for teams. I mean, you've basically got a recovery day on the Thursday, on the Friday you've maybe got a very light session going over set pieces and a few things, and then you're, you're travelling to Newcastle. So 
you know, the, it's hard to overstate how little preparation time there is for that game and how little time there is to recover from what was a big Champions League game. So it, it felt like a, a real a real potential slip-up for Liverpool. You felt he was always going to make changes. There was going to have to be a risk taken there. And I think it was I mean, it was very impressive the way they, they got the job done. I think they missed quite a few chances to, to make it a little bit more comfortable than just the one. But... It, it did feel like a, not a momentum shift, but it, it put the pressure back on Manchester City because I, I looked at that game for Liverpool and thought that is, you know, they, they've undoubtedly got the tougher run in the City, but it felt like that wasn't the hardest fixture they've got left, but it was easily the most inconvenient and it was definitely one where they could have, they could have slipped up just because of that schedule. And I think, you know, I think they've got the strongest squad in the league, Liverpool, um, quite easily, but there's, there's going to be changes still, but I don't think there'll be changes to, the, to that level. Like I'm not sure we'll see Joe Gomez starting again. I'm not sure we'll see James Milner starting again. Some of them were just changes that, that had to be made because of that schedule that, that Klopp likes to argue with, with Des Kelly about. I mean, that's the most entertaining aspect of Liverpool being on on, uh, on Saturday lunchtime. Um, Jurgen Klopp and, and Des Kelly's exchanges about that schedule. And it was, it was one that Liverpool will be very happy just to have, have crossed it off and got the win, I think. Uh, looking across to Manchester City, Jay, 4-0 away at Leeds. We talked about the position and how that affects Leeds earlier on in the show, but City now can just turn their attention to Real Madrid in midweek because just like Liverpool, they have to balance these things. Pep Guardiola has to keep all the plates spinning because they're in a position to defend the Premier League title and possibly go on and win their first ever Champions League. And because what Liverpool potentially are in a position to do would be historic for an English team, City slightly are being not talked about as much despite the fact that they could do something that they've never done in going and winning the Champions League and defending the Premier League title in arguably the tightest title race ever or certainly probably for the best part of a couple of decades. Yeah, I think I've spoken to a few City fans. I do a podcast on the Sports Social, Three Points in the Gaff with uh, Mike, who's a City fan. And there is a little bit of, um, you know... I don't know, frustration, I think, would be the right word from some certain City fans that I've spoke to that it does seem to, or the narrative being about Liverpool and Liverpool this and Liverpool that. And I understand, you know, they're going for the quadruple, but you can't ignore what City have done, especially some of the games they had. The, the, the recent game against Real Madrid, it saddens me to say it was, you know, very entertaining. I watched it against almost against my will. I thought, go on, then I'll watch it. And then I just ended up getting jealous and annoyed that that kind of football in a Champions League semi-final is uh, on show. Is allowed. For the, that's is allowed in the wrong allowed. half of Manchester. I wasn't <laughs> impressed at all with that. Um, so, yeah, the, you know, there's no point in being silly about it. City are flying, they deserve credit. And it's just, it is fascinating how close these teams are and how they're both able to do these similar things. You know, Jurgen Klopp can rest key players for a big, because he's got a big European game coming up. Guardiola can do it as well and they can both get over the line and you just do feel like this is going to go go to the wire. I, fan, I fancy City mainly because I just, I don't see Guardiola throwing this away. I don't. I think he'll win his next four games um, in the Premier League and that'll be enough for them to, to pit Liverpool by a point, which for me is the lesser of two evils just. Uh, yeah, that's definitely not the first time you've said this on, on the podcast. Uh, we're no. going to move on to some of the other games from the weekend that have maybe not really got that much riding on them, uh, Ty, but still have an impact on the overall Premier League. Aston Villa 2, Norwich City 0. This means that Norwich are now confirmed as being relegated from the Premier League and they go down with a real whimper. But our old friend, the numbers, 
don't really lie and it's absolutely damning for, for Norwich not just under Dean Smith but Daniel Fark has to carry some responsibility for this they're bottom of the table the actual table but they're also bottom for every key relevant stat bottom for goals bottom for shots shots on target XG goals conceded shots against shots on target against it's all bad and when you look at their overall picture they've been relegated from the Premier League since 2014 four times and they've never lasted more than once in the Premier League since then and we talk about money do they have enough money to spend they spent 50 million pounds this summer that was more than Brentford Burnley Everton Southampton Watford and Wolves so they're mid-table in terms of spending but arguably none of those players have improved them yeah, I think the, this, the other stat you missed off there is I think they're bottom for, for cares given as well, aren't they, this season, without wishing to offend offend Norwich fans, which I obviously just have done. Um, but they are, you know, it, in a way, they're, they're between the, what, 17th and 23rd best teams in the country every season, which means they're going up and coming back down. But it is boring for the rest of us. And it's, it's made more boring for us because it's so flipping far away from us. Um, Having to, having to go there when they come back up and you want to see new teams and new things in the Premier League and it doesn't feel like Norwich are offering offering anything at least Brentford come up and they do things different tactically they're interesting to watch there's stories there and just doesn't feel like there's any of that with Norwich and it, it was there a little bit under Farker in the first year they came up under him and they started really well Pukki was scoring goals Cantwell looked great it all went off the boil since then. This year's been a, a complete disaster for them. I don't think they've ever looked like staying up this year. Um, their, their relegation has been a certainty for a long, long time. Like you say, they've gone down with a whimper. I, I mean, you mentioned 50 million spent in the summer there. I'm amazed by that because I can't... I'm not sure I could tell you one of the players they signed now, thinking off the top of my head. Josh, um, so, so the one, the main ones that they signed uh, were Josh, Josh Sargent, Sargent and Milo yeah. Rashika. They were, they were oh, the yeah. two most expensive ones. Yeah, I mean, Rashika looks looks pretty good. Um, Josh Sargent, uh, I don't think, has offered much at all as a, as a forward in the Premier League. Um, so, you, I mean, you wouldn't say that's money well spent. Rashika's looked looked lively at times. But yeah, I just... They're just the, the, the thing is, that there's such an... This is a bigger point now, but there's such a... The, the, you know, the parachute money, the parachute payments are such a big advantage that we know for certain they'll be in the playoff picture at the very least next season. And to go back to, to Burnley under Dyche, it felt like what Norwich should have done, or maybe tried to do, is what, what Burnley did. When Burnley first got promoted under Dyche in 2013-14, around then, um, it was completely unexpected. And they barely spent any money that summer. They almost accepted relegation. They thought, we'll have a go at it. We're not going to break the budget. We're not going to break the wage structure. We'll do what we can. But if we go down, we know we're very well placed to, to then have two good transfer windows. They won the championship the following year. And then they've been in the Premier League ever since. So that is a, a club using parachute payments intelligently to turn themselves into a, not a Premier League force, but a, a Premier League regular but it doesn't feel like Norwich are doing that. It doesn't feel like they're learning the lesson. Stuart Webber gets a lot of a lot of praise as a sporting director, but I feel like with sporting directors, there's this kind of they some of them sell themselves very well by by giving interviews and by being very media friendly. And Stuart Webber does it. Um, the likes of Monchi does it. Ralph Ranick used to do it. He'd, he'd do a lot of interviews with, with English papers once or twice every year. And it's, it keeps you fresh in the mind. And you're obviously, when you're doing those interviews, you're generally selling good stories. But to look at Norwich's recruitment record, you wouldn't look at that and think, as a top club, and think, well, Stuart Webber's worth, worth poaching because the recruitment record isn't really helping them. And they're not, they've got all that money from parachute payments, but they're not putting it to good use. And they're not becoming, 
a Premier League regular and you know it's it's time they um, you know it's time they got off the pot basically isn't it and just went back to being a mid-table championship team and let someone else have a go I think Moving on to the final two games of the weekend Jay Southampton 1 Crystal Palace 2 this probably would get fouled as a bit of a dead rubber neither team in a position to go for Europe and probably safe from any sort of relegation danger Patrick Vieira's side battling back goals from Eberiche Eze and Wolf Sarhata to get three points in the bag on the south coast so I want to look at a side story that's emerged from this and that's James Ward-Prowse. There's been a big story across a couple of papers this weekend that some of the big hitters in the Premier League, Man City, Manchester United and Liverpool could be taking a little look at him. Now, we know his free kick record is fantastic but this season he's stepped up in other areas. Nine Premier League goals, that's his most as his, as a Premier League player. He's got five assists and you know the likelihood is that will probably edge up a little bit between now and the end of the season. Got himself another one yesterday. He's in a very strange position in his career. He's 27. He's under contract at Southampton until 2026. Everything looks in place for him to be a one-club player, play out his career and, and be an icon with, with Southampton fans. But then there's another school of thought that would say, if he's good enough to go and play at a higher level, Europa League, maybe even Champions League, it's now or never. Do you think he could improve any of those sides that are potentially looking at him? Or is this his level? I mean, you know, without just being sort of comical about it, it definitely improved Manchester United's current side because we're, we're woeful. To be honest with you, you could probably stick him anywhere in the pitch, even up front or something. And he'd probably but would he get you, would he get you closer us. to your objectives? But I think... I wouldn't mind James Ward-Prowse. His record's quite good. I think it was eight goals and seven assists last, last season, which is solid. And then this season, it's similar numbers. So he is, he is a good player who gives you those sort of, you know... He is productive... My, my concern with, with him is, you, you say he's under contract for the next four years, I think you said. Is he going to cost silly money? If you could get James Ward-Prowse for, say, 30 to 40 million, OK, that's worth a punt. If you're paying over 50 million, from a United point of view, sorry to make it about United, but that's a club I speak about the most and I know more about, you know, that, that would be a big chunk of our transfer budget on a player who, you know, it's debatable whether he is at the very, very top level. So... And also, you know, at 27, he's not past it by any stretch of the imagination, but this might be his sort of ceiling. So, yes, I think he could deserve a move to a different club, but I'm not so sure it happens just because of that longevity of his contracts and the fact that Southampton might dig the reels in and go, if you want him, you've got to pay, you know, Virgil van Dijk type money to get him, and clubs just go, it's not worth that much of a risk. Yeah, it's an interesting one because he does, he does kind of fall down the cracks, I suppose, between a mid-table level player. And I, I always think he's in that group of players that I'd love to see him at a bigger or a better club to see if he actually could do it. Would he get the space? Would he? I mean, and even for a bigger side, would he be allowed to take set pieces? And looking at Manchester United, Ty, Cristiano Ronaldo or Bruno Fernandes, would they be handing over free kicks to him? As brilliant as he is, because he doesn't have that name, he might have the record. I think Seb Larsson is, is one of his closest challengers for the free kick Premier League record. Nobody talks about him, and, and rightly so. Yeah, this is true. Um, I think there's, there's an element here with War Price of reminded of that um, Fergie quote about Charlie Adam of I'd, I'd pay £10 million for his corners alone, I think it was. and almost conned Liverpool and, and Daglish into signing him and he was pretty hopeless for them, wasn't he? I think Ward-Price is a better player than that. He's a tidy midfield player, but I'm not really sure he's sort of Champions League level, top four level. He'd maybe add squad depth, but like Jay said, he's, he's under contract to a Premier League club 
who are a secure Premier League club, are getting TV riches every year. They aren't going to sell him for less than £50 million. And do you need to spend £50 million quid on a midfielder who's going to be a, a squad player at best? I just, I'm not sure I can see it. There's almost a bit of, a bit of, obviously a very different player, but a bit of Wilf Sahar about him in that he's, he's found his level. He probably needed that move earlier in his career than now. There's also going to be no resale value to him if you sign him at 27. So it, it would be interesting to see if he can push on. And I think in terms of set pieces, I mean, you'd like to think he'd take them ahead of Fernandez and, and Ronaldo. Ronaldo's free kick record is is hit and miss. I think we, we all know, and, and Ward Prices is not, but I'm just not sure he, he adds enough to any of those midfields, really. Like Jay says, I think, you know, he'd improve United now, but if United get this transfer window and the next one right, maybe, I'm not sure he'd improve them then. And I just don't, I don't think there's any value in, in signing a player like that because he's, unless there's a contract situation in your favour, those mid-table clubs like Southampton are under no pressure to sell, as they proved with Van Dijk. Uh, final game of the weekend, Ty, just going to get you to wrap up on this. Wolves nil, Brighton three. Three away wins uh, out of four for Brighton to make sure that they're absolutely safe in the Premier League running. But Bruno Leish said a kind of tongue-in-cheek comment in his post-match. He said that Wolves just turned up to watch Brighton play and that this is probably the end of their European push. As it stands, they've got a game in hand over West Ham United who are in that Europa Conference League position as it stands. If they win that, they'd go level, but their running is hard. They've got Chelsea away. Away, City at home, Norwich at home, which they'll probably pick up three points, and then they're at Anfield on the final day. So this says to me now that we don't know what order it will be, but the top seven, the European places, are now decided. I think so, yeah. I think they've they've also lost momentum, Wolves. A few weeks ago, I was looking at the table thinking that they could even pip United for seventh if, if United ended up in that position, and they're only a couple of points behind them at one point, but they've lost three in a row, four of the last five, I think. They've lost to to Leeds, to Brighton, I think they lost to Burnley, Newcastle maybe the other one. They're losing to teams who are below them in the league and it does it does feel like they've lost a lot of momentum and you just can't you can't see them regaining that now, especially with that running, like you say. I mean, they've got the top three still to play. It it's hard to make a case for them winning any of those games really. So yeah, I think they're their goose is cooked. They've had they've had a good run of it this season to have been up there um, in what felt like kind of a traditional season after um, Nuno left has has been a decent effort. But yeah, I think they've they've definitely run out of steam when it comes to to getting top seven. Yeah, ending the season with a whimper. The European places are not decided, but the teams that will be playing European football next season from the Premier League do look to be almost confirmed right we're going to call it there for sunday's edition of the football social daily ty jay on a sunday night as always thank you for your time thanks for having us good it's always better when united don't play <laughs> thank you brilliant stuff said like a true manchester united fan there jay right that's it for tonight's podcast the team will be back tomorrow building up to manchester united in action at home to brentford there's going to be plenty on the podcast this week as we look ahead to some massive champions league action liverpool and manchester city both going for european glory so hit subscribe and you will not miss out thanks for listening and speak to you very very soon Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.